Uh, that was that was an that was an adult groan. I heard that. I heard that. Uh, so glad you are here this morning. Let me get uh, my phone to work properly here. We will be in first our Second Kings chapter twenty one this morning. We talk. Um, we've talked so much. Like since uh, October, we got into uh, the life of Jesus. Uh, that started out of um, an opportunity to speak to one of the teen groups at uh, a youth rally. Reminded me that so often we're trying to uh, have these kids talk or speak or or teach or evangelize, if you want to use the Christian word for it. We're trying to make them comfortable sharing their faith in Jesus, but most of us wouldn't be comfortable sharing any information about somebody we didn't know. So back in October, we started basically with the Gospel of Matthew and just started working through the life of Jesus. We kind of finished up with Easter in the last couple weeks, looking at the ascension and what's going on there. Prior to that, for the last couple years, we had been in the Old Testament just working through Scripture, uh, talking about the people in the Old Testament that the Lord was using, those that were uh, righteous, those that were evil. And we had landed for really months in the story of kings the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. And we had uh, gotten to almost the end of Second Kings. So I wanted to go back through that today, but here's how the Lord operates today being Family Sunday. We're going to look at the story, instead of just one, King Manasseh in Second Kings chapter 21, we're going to look at two kings this morning. We're going to look at Manasseh who takes the throne at the age of 12. Raise your hand if you're 12. You ready to be king? Not do you want to be. Not do you want to be. Are you ready to be king? So at the age of 12, Manasseh becomes king. We're going to show in in opposition to that, Josiah becomes king at the tender age of eight. Raise your hand if you're eight. Justin and Trevor combined eight. Are you ready to be king? Yep. So the scripture is filled with stories, and we love them, of younger people. We love those stories, right? What makes David so precious to us? His story starts young. David and Goliath, he's not even in the army. He's the youngest son. He's tending the sheep, and all of a sudden, he shows up at war and takes down the mighty Goliath. We love the stories of the young in scripture. And so we, when we get there, we love the idea that Jesus works with kids, works with the young ones, right? Don't hinder them from coming to me, right? He's going to bless them. He's going to pray for them. He's going to make a big deal out of them, and he loves that. So this morning, we're going to see two. We're going to see two that totally contrast each other. And I want to run you through them this morning uh, with, with just the eye of watch the differences, Chapter 21, you'll see why we're not going to stick around in 21 long today as I read through uh, the first part of the passage. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Uh, His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had disposed before the Israelites. 
He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed and reestablished the altars for Baal. He made an Asherah as King Ahab of Israel had done. He also bowed down in worship to all the stars in the sky and served them. He built altars in the Lord's temple where the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where I will put my name. Verse 5, he built altars to all the stars in the sky in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. He sacrificed his son in the fire practiced witchcraft and divination, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Verse 7, Manasseh set up the carved image of the Asherah, which he made in the temple that the Lord had spoken about to David and his son Solomon. I will establish my name forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. I will never again cause the feet of the Israelites to wander from the land I gave to their ancestors, if only. You see, the nation of Israel loved the first part of all of that promise. They loved all of that. God had made them a promise, and God is a God that keeps promises. They loved all the first part of that, that the Lord was going to set them in their land, that they were never going to be moved, that the temple of God will be there, and God would dwell with his people. They loved all of that, but that was not all of the covenant. What else happens? I will never again, verse 8, cause the feet of the Israelites to wander from the land I gave to their ancestors, if only they will be careful to do all I have commanded them. The whole law that my servant Moses commanded them, but they did not listen Manasseh caused them to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Scroll down to verse 16 with me just to put a final note on Manasseh's reign. Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to the other. This was in addition to his sin that he caused Judah to commit so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. King Manasseh takes the throne at the age of 12. He is a young man given a position of authority. What do you think makes or breaks someone so young of being in that position would be the people they were surrounded with? And so you have cultural influence. And, and, as, and as we sit here this morning as adults as well, I would beg us to remember the idea of influence. What brings about influence? Time, access, repetition. So who has influence over our children? Who are we giving influence over our kids? Is it a cell phone with the internet wide open? Is it YouTube? Is it Facebook? Is it TikTok? I mean, some of the other stuff, that some of the other apps and stuff people that have created, are we giving them access? You're giving them influence. Who are we giving the influence of our children to? When we send them to the school system, do we know who's there? Do we know what they're teaching? Like that makes or breaks young ones you and i get wisdom from being around people that have wisdom or god help us we have to make all the mistakes and counteract them ourselves we end up wasting time and treasure right fixing the things that we mess up if only we were around wise people and actually listen to them manasseh is 12 he takes the throne and he does all the wickedness that had been done before him 55 years of wickedness. 
As we walk through the next couple weeks, I cannot wait to get into Daniel because diving through and, and, and reading about these kings is so heavy. It hurts so bad. It grieves my spirit so bad that it's gotten so heavy to read over and over and over. Why? Because as they made bad decisions, they brought other people with them. Manasseh brought the whole nation with him. And so he had made them sin or he helped them sin. And this is a grievous thing to the Lord that he had walked them down that road. As you and I get into Daniel, as we finish up Kings, as we keep going, what we're going to see repeatedly is that a sovereign God does things that doesn't make sense to us all the time. Why does Manasseh get to reign 55 years? King David didn't reign that long. Solomon didn't reign that long. Josiah, we'll see in a couple minutes, he didn't reign that long either. What is the Lord doing? Sometimes you and I just have to be at peace that we are not God. We don't understand why the Lord is is causing things or allowing things to go on in our life. And we get so frustrated by it. He's doing things that we don't understand. And yet scripture is filled with the warning that you and I are not God. Talking this morning in Sunday school about the idea of why God doesn't stop evil. Well, if he stops evil, then he's going to stop me too. And a lot of times we don't want to take that that admonition or that frustration that far. We want to stop it with something out there or something bigger or this horrible thing or that horrible thing. But if you and I are just talking about evil things, when's the last time you did something evil to someone else? When's the last time you poured out some kind of wrath or vengeance or backbiting or you told a lie or you harmed someone's character by sowing discord? When is the last time you did one of those things? Because if God is shutting down evil, he shuts those things down too. And yet he doesn't do that. What does he do? God allows grace, God allows time, and then God punishes accordingly. And so the nation of Israel is going to be punished. They have been promised that destruction is coming. Because of what Manasseh has done, because of so many before him, the nation of Israel has been pummeled repeatedly for their sins and Ahab and his wickedness and all the other kings that come through that did not honor God. And Judah, Judah was hanging on. When the kingdom split, Judah had more wise kings, more righteous kings, and so they were hanging on longer. But now Judah has taken over and done what Israel has done. The past, when God had given the land to the nation of Israel, he was punishing the people that were there before. For 400 years, they had done detestable things. They had dishonored God, dishonored humanity. They had dishonored their young by casting them into the fire. They had done many, many wicked and vile things. And for 400 years, God had been patient. But when the nation of Israel is brought out of Egypt, God says, I'm going to give you their land. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. Manasseh is worse than them. Solomon's seed in verse 2. Who brings these things in initially? If you remember, we talked about King Saul. And real quick, just as a real quick review. King Saul was the picture of who you and I would choose in our carnality. The carnal king. Why do you say that? Well, because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He just looked like a king. He looked like the guy that should lead. He looked like the great leader. But what do we see in Saul's life? He is a coward. He is paralyzed by doubt. He doesn't understand what what has been handed to him, the calling of God that has been placed on him, the blessing that's been handed to him. So he lives in fear, and he's frustrated forever, and he's so worried that he tries to take it out on 
future King David. Remember the stories? Then what do we see with David? Well, David is picked by God. David is picked by God. Why? Because he has a pure heart. David is a man after God's own heart. And even though he is real and he fails, as a young man, he has a pure heart. As an older man, he has a pure and repentant heart. And so God honors him and honors his commitment. Jesus comes through the line of who? David. Solomon, who is Solomon? Well, Solomon is picked as the greatest example you and I could have of an earthly king. Solomon is humble. He prays for wisdom, but he's too pragmatic to keep it. He's too practical to keep it. So when you and I read the sins of Manasseh, we need to understand they were brought in and ushered in by Solomon. Who brought the first foreign wives in to marry them to create peace, to create a stronger kingdom? Solomon. It was a pragmatic idea. It seemed to make sense at the time. What he didn't realize, though, was every influence he brought into the nation, they brought their gods and their idols. And eventually, the the nation would be split and taken because of this sin. You see, Solomon was humble enough to pray for wisdom, but he was too pragmatic to keep it. If it works, do it. That's what he did. He failed as the example of what Uh, could be done with humanity if we would just be wise enough to achieve it he failed in that because he was still frail and broken he tried to outthink or outsmart the lord and so finally the last king that we'll see is king jesus and you and i will talk about him in just a minute but manasseh is a wicked king God punishes him. God tells him, I'm going to take the kingdom. I'm going to remove the people from the land. But before he does that, turn over with me to chapter 22. Amon is the king after Manasseh, his son. His son does what? He walked in all the ways of his father and walked that, that he had walked. He served the idols his father served, and he bowed and worshiped to them. He abandoned the Lord God of his ancestors and did not walk in the ways of the Lord. So in chapter 21, as we finish, Manasseh's son has now taken the throne. He is 22. He's going to reign for two years. He is wicked like his father, and he is done away with. Manasseh gets 55, his son Amon gets 2. Do we know why? We do not. Both are wicked, both are vile, both practice uh, the things of the ancients, both uh, sacrifice children to the fire, both bring in idolatry, both do these things, and they lead the nation of Israel to sin grievously against God. His judgment is coming. His judgment is coming. They need to repent. They need to run. And then verse 22, you, or chapter 22, you and I see just a little piece of grace and mercy. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah. She was from uh, Bosketh. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent the court secretary, Shaphan, son of Azilah, son of Meshulam, to the Lord's temple, saying, Go up to the high priest uh, Hilkiah so that he may total up the silver brought to the Lord's temple. The silver and the doorkeepers have collected from the people. It is to be given to those doing the work. 
those who oversee the Lord's temple, they in turn are to give it to the workmen in the Lord's temple to repair the damage. They are to give it to the carpenters, the builders, the masons to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the temple. But no accounting is to be required from them for the silver given to them since they work with integrity. What is going on? Josiah, this king of eight, he has obviously been surrounded by godly people, but we also see God's grace being poured out here. Josiah is the grandson of Manasseh, son of Amon. He is eight when he takes the throne. And yet all of those circumstances do not dictate that he is a bad, wicked king. And so one of the things that I want to stress to so many of you today is it doesn't matter what lineage you come from. You are not cursed to be a part of it. You are not cursed to do what was done by your fathers and your grandfathers, your mother and your grandmother. You are someone that the grace and the mercy of God can change your direction and the direction of all of those after you. You can be a blessing to so many. And we need to understand that, especially in today's culture where so many things are just repeated, children from parent from grandparent. This is just the way we've always done it. This is who I am. This is who my parents were. I cannot expect more. God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. Does not matter why you are here or how you got here. What matters is what you do with your relationship, your time that the Lord has given you. Josiah chooses to be a godly king, and in that, he is a blessing to the entire nation. In his 18th year, what happens? He's going to rebuild the temple. He wants to start fixing what was damaged. So he goes in and he calls uh, his people in and he says, go, take the money, start the work. Don't even make them account for the money. We know they are people of integrity. Just get it fixed. The Lord's house needs to be right. He is honoring God early on in life. He is creating uh, an atmosphere of wisdom. And what comes next is amazing. If you look down uh, chapter 22, Verse 9, then the court secretary, Shaphan, went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the silver that was found in the temple and have given it to those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, The priest, Hilkiah, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded the priest, Hilkiah, um, Ahiakim's son, Shaphan, Acre's son of Milkiah, the court secretary Shaphan, and the king's secretary Isaiah, go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people and all of Judah, about the words in the book that have been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written in it. In the process of fixing the temple, what do they find? The word of God. They find God's word. They find God's command. And when the book is open and read in the king's presence, instead of being frustrated, instead of being irritated, instead of having it waste his time, he is grieved and he starts the process of repentance. His heart is broken that they have not kept what God has required. And he says, man, we are right on the verge of danger and disaster where one king leads toward disaster toward judgment this king starts to work repentance 
this young and wise king starts to work repentance back through the people. We need to run. We need to flee from the ways we have uh, created and angered the Lord. And so in that, he starts the process of bringing about a blessing for all of those that are there. Josiah is going to help you don't want to say save because that word is not really correct. The nation of Israel is still going to be punished, but the people under his leadership are not going to experience it as they would have, as they probably should have. Because what happens, this king starts to push for uh, the, the zeal and the glory of God, the repentance of the nation. If you go down with me, chapter 23, verse 24, reads this way. In addition, Josiah eradicated the mediums, the spiritists, household of idols, images, and all abhorrent things that were seen in the land of Judah in Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the law that were written in the book that the priest Hilkiah found in the Lord's temple. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength, according to the law of Moses, and no one like him arose after him. The tale of two kings, the tale of two young kings. One uses his power and leads toward wickedness and destruction. The other uses his power and turns the nation toward repentance he is, he is pricked by the word of God. And in that breaking, he brings about a blessing to many. For the young ones here this morning, God operates the same way with you here today. No one else in your life may believe in you. No one else in your life may think you're old enough to make this decision or that decision. But I am telling you right now, the Lord sees you. He speaks to you through his word, through other people. The Holy Spirit Pushes, if you have received Christ as your Savior, young one, you are a temple of God. The things you know to do, you are to do. The things you know that grieve God or grieve your parents, the things you know that are sinful, you are required to repent and run from them. And God uses, God touches uh, the young in Scripture as a picture and a warning to you and I as well. God still works through young people. He has blessed our church over and over and over again with a pile of young ones. And in that, he brings about some of the wisdom that you and I would never get. Some of the joy and the energy some of, that you and I would never have had he not given us and taken care of us like he has. But for the young ones here today, if you understand what I am saying, you are required to do something with it. The things you know are right. If you claim to be a Christian, you are to do and as you go in school, especially high school right now, as you go through the school, through the hallways, in your classroom, as you become something that God has called you to be, you will be a blessing to many. Or you can be a curse. You can use your leadership in ways that dishonor the Lord and bring about destruction for those behind you. They can see and point to your life and know that you claim to be a Christian and yet you do not act anything like the Word of God would require us to act. And in that kind of leadership, you're going to harm them in the long run. You are there in that classroom or that school as God's ambassador. No matter your age, you are there to be salt and light and love and care for those around you. 
And as we come here and we learn these principles of Scripture, we are to apply them. Today is very simple. Manasseh was a wicked and vile person. He followed in the steps of his culture. He followed in the steps of his fathers. And in that, he was a curse. Grandson later, Josiah comes. And at the age of eight, even younger, he takes the throne. And he starts to make wise decisions as king. He starts to love and care for those Uh, that are following him properly. You've been given a little bit of stature at work, a little bit of stature at school. If you're on a sports team and people look at you as as someone to emulate, you need to take that kind of leadership and you need to use it and leverage it for the glory of God. Anywhere people look to you for something that you have to offer, you and I need to remember that what they need to see when they see me, what they need to see when they see you, is the love and the joy of Jesus. Whether you're 7, 17, or 77, that does not matter. The Lord is working in you, and the Lord is working through you. As they come this morning to play, I just want to make sure that these concepts are things that we're grabbing right now. Leadership is something that matters. Where you and I lead, people will follow. Where they follow falls on us. One of the things we're going to see as we go is that leaders are held accountable for where the people that are following them end up. uh, Manasseh did not make every one of those people sin, but his leadership made it easier for them too, and God registers it as him leading them down that road. The Bible says that he fell asleep and, and, and went with his fathers, that he stayed asleep with his fathers. You know, he woke up in the middle of tremendous chaos. Judgment, frustration. Not only had he sinned personally, but he had led others to do it too. And then you have Josiah, a king that at the age of eight stepped in, wanted to be honorable. When he heard the word of God, his heart was pierced and he repented. And then he took that and wanted to make it public. In that, he blessed a nation. You can bless a school, you can bless a home. It's going to start with how you and I interact with the Word of God. How the Lord uses that in us to create blessing that flows outside of us. There are people in your life today, whether they're at your house or in your school or at your job, they need what the Lord has to offer. You need to become someone like a Josiah to them. That when the Lord speaks, you listen. And then you try to replicate it in others. You try to bring them with you. It's so easy to sin and to bring people into basically our curses. It is so easy to do that. It is so selfish. It feels like your flesh just feels so good to do what you want to do. But at the end of the day, you and I end up harming others. Or you can be like Josiah. The Word of God can be opened and you and I can listen and apply. And in that, we start to bless other people. And by bless, sometimes it's protect. You and I get to protect, to help protect other people beside us, behind us as they come. Why? Because we're listening to what the word of the Lord has to say and we are applying it accordingly. And when we fail, we repent, but we just keep moving. God keeps working. When you stand this morning, if you need to pray, you come. If you need to ask questions or you don't know this Lord, you come. 